been working in the pre-K center for three years now. And we start with the pre-K ministry. Yeah, we've been uh, with it for about three years altogether now. Wanted to get plugged in since we were utilizing the, the kids' services. It's been a blessing um, for the last five years. And we've been serving in the early childhood and preschool area for two years. We started serving because we saw just the big need. Kind of a family affair. We all are kind of involved and we wanted to give back to our church that gave us so much. It's just a great way to be involved in our church. And, and I feel like service is an act of worship. And this is so much more than just dropping your kids off while um, the adults go to service. This is a place where the children are building their foundation, built in Christ. I think my favorite part about serving in the kids' ministry is every time we read a new story, like they get really excited. It's almost like an encouraging, you know, to hear those stories kind of with fresh ears. And going to church with like children just like kind of changes the way that you worship, I think. And we get to learn so much with those Bible stories for kids, but it's actually for any age, actually. Just being able to see those light bulb moments as we're sharing the story. Just seeing how much they change and how much they grow up, how much they learn. Just the relationships you make with other teachers as well is really fun. You get to meet new people and... Um, you know, serving is one of the best ways to meet other people that you're serving alongside. If you're really looking to go deeper in community, we definitely recommend uh, serving for that reason. See people from different seasons of life, whether you're a young professional or a young married, empty nester, or just different seasons of life. We would love to have people in those seasons come and volunteer with us. I would say many hands makes the load light too. You don't have to have a certain set of skills in order to volunteer, really just people who can come and love on these kids. And we have incredible leaders that have been serving for years that will walk alongside you. Step outside your comfort zone because I think when you do that, you're rewarded even more. And I wouldn't have really ever considered myself like a kid person as far as like being a teacher. And I am able to help with the children's ministry, but I'm not with kids straight time and I'm working with the leaders. The curriculum is easy to follow. One of the biggest things for us is as coordinators, just seeing kids turned away because we don't have enough volunteers. Um, you know, it's hard to see and hard to grasp whenever we see so many people who could do that in the church. You know, some of these messages are messages that are going to be taken with them their entire lives. And so you really have a good opportunity to impact them for, um, for forever. It's just a great opportunity to walk alongside these kids and be a part of their story from the very beginning. those fake kids volunteers they do an incredible job down there our children's ministry the way they partnered with my wife Lee and I as we raised our kids it was a game changer in their spiritual development and so if you would like to impact the next generation of Christ followers we encourage everybody find a place to serve worship in here one hour serve somewhere on this campus the other hour. Fayette Kids is a great place to do that. Well, my name's Michael, and I'm one of the ministry leaders here. I get to serve on the community team. I wanna say welcome. So glad you're here to worship with us this morning. I wanna welcome those of you joining us on the live stream. Glad to have you along as well. This is a great time of the year around here. We have a lot of things that are getting started, and I wanna share just a few of those highlights with you. Before I do that, I wanna point you to this little document right here. You're gonna see these as you walk out this morning. You might have picked one up on the way in. I wanna encourage you, grab one of these. It has a lot more information about a lot more than what I could possibly cover in my short time at the beginning of the service here, but we have a lot of opportunities for you. A couple to highlight, the gathering 
is happening here in just a couple of weeks. It's going to be on, Dave, what's the date of this thing? August 17th. That's what I get for thinking the date would be on the slide. August 17th, the gathering is for young adults. If you're in your 20s and 30s and you like connecting with other people and you like food trucks and you like field games, the gathering is the place for you. So come out, meet some other people in their 20s and 30s. We're building young adult community. We're really excited about what the Lord's doing at the gathering on these Tuesdays, as well as what the Lord's doing in community. One of the things that we like to say around here is more kinds of groups for more kinds of people. So no matter who you are, no matter what season of life you're in, we have an opportunity for you to be in Christ-centered community, to be in a place with other people where you can belong, you can grow, and you can have an opportunity to serve. And so you can grab your phone if you'd like to. Those QR codes will take you to the right places. We have Discover Fellowship. Discover is our pathway to membership, but it's also just a great way to connect with people. And so if you're new, or maybe you're not new, but you've just never really gotten plugged in in community, Discover is a great way to do that. That'll start on September the 12th. And our women's ministry has so many opportunities. It's a small groups-based ministry, primarily meeting here on campus on Tuesday morning, Tuesday evening, but they have other opportunities as well. They would love to get you ladies connected. And of course, we have community groups. We have community groups for men, for women, for couples. We have CR step studies. We have lots of opportunities for you to connect in community, and we'd love to help you do that. So you can hit us up on the web. You can visit us at the booth. I wanna tell you just a real quick story we just wrapped up our Discover session for the spring. It wrapped up a few weeks ago. And in there, I got to meet some great couples. One of the couples I got to meet was Jay and Sarah Sego. Now, Jay was in the Navy, career Navy man. And so he had to move a lot. And I sat down with them a couple of weeks ago. And, and as we were talking, Jay said, what we realized quickly, when you have to move, the only way to get plugged into a church, the only way to get to know people and be part of what that church is doing is through community, through small groups. So as soon as they came here, they jumped in Discover, they got connected with some other couples. Now they're praying through how God could use them to impact their neighborhood. And that's what we're all about. The presence of Christ in every neighborhood. Isn't that a compelling vision? Every neighborhood in Fayetteville, every neighborhood in our surrounding communities, there would be a home where there's an outpost for the kingdom for Jesus Christ. If you're compelled by that vision, come with us. Sign up online, visit us in the booth. We'd love to help you get connected and be part of being the presence of Christ everywhere we live, work, and play. Hey, let me pray for our service and our time together this morning. Lord, thank you for the people that you've brought to Fellowship Fayetteville this morning and those who are joining us online. Lord, thank you that we're gonna proclaim the truths of scripture in song, in teaching, and Lord, just in our own hearts and minds and our response. And so Lord, I commit this time to you. I pray, may the distractions of the day fall away and may we see you more clearly. Lord, may your voice be the loudest and above all, Lord, in everything we say and do this morning, Jesus be glorified. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is David. I'm one of the... Uh worship leaders here. This is my good buddy Andrew. Um, this is Kelly, just to his left, and then that's Jacob. 
over there. And uh, we had rehearsal this past Wednesday night and we went around and just shared a couple of interesting facts about us. And we all said that we're obsessed with uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. So that's a kind of a random fact for you this morning. And uh, we're just glad to be here with you. Hey, we're gonna do something this morning that body of believers have been doing um, since the beginning of time. And that's come together and to lift our voices together and our eyes, get our eyes focused on the Lord and not on ourselves this morning. So I wanna read this over you from First Chronicles this morning. And this is David, King David, after they had rebuilt the temple. And for them, the temple was the place that they met with God. And what's so cool about that is Jesus would take that idea of the temple and say, you are a temple. So now it's not just a building, but you are meeting with God. And so hear these words. This is what he says. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and we praise your glorious name. So can we do that this morning? Would you stand with us and let's praise the Lord together.
faithful. He's always been faithful. And he will always be faithful. The book of 2 Timothy tells us that when we are faithless, that he remains faithful. You go back to the book of Genesis. We were created, men and women, to be an image bearer of God, to be a mirror, per se, to reflect the glory of God to other people and to reflect the glory back to him. That's what we were created to do, to bring blessing to the world, to bring justice, to bring love, to bring goodness, to bless others. But rather, we decided to oppress, to take, make, make it more personal. I decided to assume things about people that I didn't know before. I decided to blame when I was caught on something else that somebody else did. I decided to take. I decided to curse. I decided to hide what I was actually dealing with. And we as believers, we call that sin. Romans chapter three says that all have sinned and all fall short of that glory of God. So it begs the question, what is our Lord's response? If we've all done that, what is his response? Well, again, you go back to Genesis and he had a plan from the beginning, even though man would fall. He said, no, but one will come who will crush the head of the serpent, even from the very beginning. He's faithful. He's faithful to his promises. He's faithful to his covenant. And if you've read any part of your Bible, you'll realize very quickly that the story of the Bible is more about the faithfulness of our God than the faithfulness of his people. It's about him. It's about his character. So I want you to hear this from the book, from the, uh, from the book of Titus, chapter 3. I think it outlines it perfectly. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, hear this, he saved us, not because of righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. He's faithful. He always has been. He always will be. So this morning, as our pardon of assurance or pardon of forgiveness to remind ourselves of what we've been forgiven, we're gonna sing this familiar hymn together. Remind ourselves of the great high priest that we learned about in Hebrews all summer about him. So let's sing this together. Before the throne of God above, sing I have a strong and perfect plea. Great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives in peace for me. Hear this. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can be.
Jesus, you are worthy 
of all the glory and praise and honor that we could give in our lives. And so we sing these words to you because it's about all we have to give because you're worthy. We want to give you our lives. We want to worship you as our king, not just with our voices in here, but with our mouths and our hands and our feet and our lives outside of this room. So Jesus, would you speak to us today through your spirit and through your word, and we ask it in your name. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. How are we doing this morning? Good, good. My name's Garland, and uh, just a little bit of a thought experiment I thought I would uh, begin with here. Um, it's kind of a ridiculous, uh, a ridiculous hypothetical question. Think back, what would you say in the last, I don't know, 100, 200 years, what's been the single best piece of news that's been delivered to humanity? Like, it's a, it's, it's a ridiculous uh, hypothetical question because it depends on you know, who's receiving the news and who's giving the news. What's the, what's the best piece of news that humans have heard in the last, I don't know, 100 or 200 years? I was thinking about this uh, this last couple of weeks, and what came to my mind right off the bat, the first thing that came to my mind was VE Day, Victory in Europe Day. Like, imagine the, the fear and the anxiety of all of World War II, and imagine the, the struggle of what was going on in the European theater. And finally, the, this evil empire had been overthrown, and we could bring peace back to at least the European theater of that war. It was a day of celebration for joyous news. Finally, that part of the war had come to an end. I mean, maybe it was the development of penicillin, or maybe it was the moon landing. What's, what would you say? As I was thinking about in my life, best piece of news that I've heard was back in 1994, and it was this news. <laughs> the forces of good in the Razorback basketball team had overcome the evil empire known as the Duke Blue Devils, and we were national champions. Okay. Some of you are like, I don't remember, this never happened because you're too young to remember it. We were champs. I was nine years old. It was the best piece of news. If you think about it, we're kind of used to hearing news regularly and, and dispensing news regularly. Like every four years, we have this kind of anxious filled day where we wait to hear the results of, of at least our national election, the presidential race, and we watch states turn red or blue, and we stay up late to watch this news. And if you've ever had, uh, if, you've, if you've found out that you were pregnant, but you haven't told your parents yet, you haven't told your grandparents yet, you have a piece of news, and you just can't wait to tell them, like, how are we going to tell them, and where are we going to tell them, and how are they going to respond? Or maybe you put an offer in on a house, and you're waiting for the news. There's 12 other offers, and they're all above asking price, and they're all cash only. Are we going to win or not? And you're waiting on the news. I don't think we're going to win. We have a contingency offer. You're going to lose, by the way, on that one. Or you are waiting to hear the news of the, the gender reveal of like your first grandkid or something. I mean, we're used to giving and receiving and hearing important news. And obviously some news is more significant than others, more personal than others. And what we're going to see this morning is we're going we're gonna to look in the scripture and we're going to see that we have world-changing news to offer. We've got an announcement that is earth-shaking, I mean, by which everything else is different because of this news. 
And, and the, three, the, three, the three things we're gonna look at, the first one's gonna take a lot longer, so don't freak out, all right? The first one's gonna take a long time. We're gonna see what is the content of this news. Second, we're gonna ask the question, what are the rival pieces of news that we see, both ancient and modern? And lastly, this news comes with a summons for you and for me if you are a Jesus follower in the room. So we got world-changing news. We're gonna learn its content, its rivals, and lastly, its summons. If you have your Bibles, open them up. Go ahead and open your phone, Bibles, Google, whatever you got. Mark chapter one, eyes on the Bible this morning. And uh, here's how we... Here's how how we start with a seemingly rudimentary question. I mean, this is church after all. Here's the question I want us to start with. When we talk about this news, we're talking about this thing that Christians call the gospel. And the question to start is, what is that? If you're not familiar with church, this is your first time coming in a long time, or maybe you just kind of came in here today, you don't exactly know why you're here, or maybe you've been here for a really long time, what is the gospel. We want to understand it. We want to be crystal clear on it. Now, at its most basic level, we can just say, what does the word mean? Where does it come from? Well, the the word comes from two Greek words. The the prefix is you, and then the second part of the word is angelos, message or news or announcement. It forms a word, euangelion, which is where we get our word for evangelism, all right? So the gospel at its most basic level is a piece of good news. It's a good message, but what's the content? Now, I think for many of us in the room, the way that this content was delivered to us, sometimes if you really think back on it, it can be a little bit strange. Like for many of us in the room, the the content of this world-changing news started with something like this. If you were to die today, how certain are you that you would be that you would go to heaven or the other place? Or if you're like me, maybe the news began with something like this. You're in a big theater somewhere, and on the screen you've got heaven's gates and hell's flames. <laughs> or maybe for you, you're like me, there's somebody on a stage ripping up phone books and smashing cinder blocks and bench pressing a lot and saying, you can have the same power to overcome hell and go to heaven. By the way, if you're, if you're right now going, I don't know what he's talking about. It's called 90s Christianity, all right? So what was going on in the 90s. Power team, YouTube it, all right? Go check it out. Uh, Maybe for some of us, it was like this. Um, You're in a room, you're in a church, and the person up here is talking about how there is a God, and he's given you rules, and you've broken the rules. And as a result, he is out for blood. But instead, Jesus takes the hit, and now if you walk down the aisle, if you pray these, these words, then you can go be with your relatives when you die and not go to the other place. Now, I'm not necessarily uh, slighting these, okay? Like, I, I get it. For a lot of us, that, that was our story. That's, that's where the Lord began to kind of work with us. I think if I asked, maybe most people, especially in the south of our country, the southern part of America, what is the gospel, the euangelion? I think for most of us, we'd say something like this. Jesus, he died on the cross for my sin. And, and we might add some words to it. Jesus died on the cross for my sin and he rose from the dead or uh, he died on the cross and now uh, I get to go be with God in heaven and that's awesome and not the other place. Now I want, you, I want to point out, notice how individualistic this gospel is. 
Notice how a lot of those examples I was giving earlier, a lot of those center on your feeling of guilt. We want to feel guilty and then know that there's a release for that guilt in Jesus. And this, these words right here, Jesus died on the cross for my sin and rose again, that's, that's definitely a significant part of the gospel. But it's kind of like a diamond. If you think about it, if you've ever gone and, and, and bought a, a wedding ring or an anniversary ring or something like that, then what you'll notice is they always got those little glass cages there, and then there's black felt, and there's lights on the bottom of the cages. Why am I calling them cages? The little displays uh, looking down on the diamonds. And if you, if you notice, what makes the diamond sparkle? What gives it its brilliance? When you look closely, there's all these little facets. And those little facets, when the light hits it, it reflects, and it causes the brilliance. And when we say the gospel is Jesus died on the cross for my sin in story, then what we're doing is we're taking one of the facets of that diamond and we're missing all the other ones. We're missing the brilliance of this diamond. We want to get the content right. Maybe the best place to do this is Jesus. Think we should go there? Let's see what Jesus says about the gospel. What is the gospel for Jesus. When we get really clear insight in the gospel of Mark, look at Mark 1.14. You should have turned there. Take a look. John was put in prison. Then Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the, the euangelion, the good news of God. Quote, what does he say? He doesn't say, I'm here to die on the cross for your sin. It's a huge, important part of the diamond. Trust me. But we want to see these other facets. Look at what Jesus says. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. The gospel is news about a kingdom, God's kingdom, coming and invading the earth. The kingdom of Jesus coming into the kingdoms of the world. It says it has, it has a response, repent. That means to turn, reject all other kings and kingdoms, and trust Give your allegiance, give your loyalty to this king through this gospel, this euangelion. Now, to make sense of what Jesus is doing here and how Mark is, is unpacking this for us, we gotta understand the black felt. Like the diamond is always put in front of those two pieces of felt that are behind it. What are the backdrops for this diamond? And we're gonna see we have two. There's a Jewish backdrop and there's a Roman backdrop. And if we see these, then what Jesus is saying, it'll shine. I mean, it'll just sparkle with brilliance. First, let's look at the Jewish backdrop. There's a lot of places we could go in the Old Testament to see this, but uh, it's, it's condensed in Isaiah. Isaiah 40 to 55. Here's the context. This is about 550 years before Jesus. And the people of Israel find themselves in exile. They've been driven from their homeland. Uh, they've had, they find themselves growing up as refugees in foreign territory. It seems like everything has gone, uh, has fallen apart for them. They're terrified, they're scared, and it feels like their God has abandoned them. And the prophet's words land to that group. In Isaiah 40, they begin this way, comfort, comfort my people. Take comfort your hard service has been completed. Your sin has been paid for. And look at verse three. There's a message, a voice calling out in the wilderness. Prepare the way for who? 
in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. When you see all caps Lord, that's the translators giving you. This is the divine name of God, the covenant name of God of Israel, Yahweh. Prepare the way for Yahweh. I mean, carve a highway out there in the desert. Make a straight path for him. Just a few pages over, Isaiah 52. These words that sound familiar to you. Paul will quote them. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring euangelion, to bring the good news. Who, what's the content of the news? It's peace is coming. Good, good news is coming. Salvation is coming. Your God is coming. And he's coming to reign. And when he does, he'll bring peace. He'll bring forgiveness. Your sin will be paid for. He's coming. The Jewish backdrop, this piece of felt that the diamond is sparkling in front of, it's the news that Yahweh is returning to rescue his people. And when he does, he'll forgive their sin. He'll establish his kingdom and he'll rid them of their enemies. Liberation, freedom, it's coming. Yahweh's coming. We're waiting for him. It's the good news the gospel, the Jewish backdrop. Now, what about the Roman backdrop? History nerds, you will like this. The rest of you, go here with me, okay? Uh, This is called the Priene inscription. It was found in modern-day Turkey, which was part of the Roman Empire at the time. They've dated it to 9 BC, okay? 9 BC. And here's what's on the Priene Inscription. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you uh, because uh, it gets a little wordy. So I'm going to highlight some of the parts. Look at the blue. This is what's on this ancient propaganda piece of, it's like a magazine. It's like a billboard placed in modern-day Turkey, which was occupied by ancient Rome. Tracking with me? Here's what it says. Since providence, the arrangement of the gods, has ordered all things and set in most perfect order... He's arranged to give us who? The gospel in the Roman backdrop is news concerning Caesar. It's news about a king and a kingdom. And who is this Caesar Augustus? Well, providence has filled him with all virtue that he might benefit, notice the language here, that he might benefit humanity, sending him as the savior both for us and for our descendants, that he might, this is, this is wild, end war, he brings peace, that he might arrange all things. And skip down, since the birthday of, see the language, Caesar, was the, uh, Caesar Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar, who now in the Roman Empire, they've, ter- they've deemed Julius Caesar God. Caesar Augustus, his adopted son, he's the son of God. Look at the language, Savior, he's the one who brings peace. And since the birthday of the God, Augustus, was the beginning of the Galion, the good news for the world. So bend the knee to him, bow before him, pledge your allegiance to him. He'll give you the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Trust in Caesar, because he's the son of God. The Roman backdrop is the message that the true king, the Caesar, has taken his place on the throne. Worship him. Love him, follow him. Now, I want to remind you that Jesus is a Jewish man growing up in Roman-occupied Israel. And Mark is a Jewish man writing to a Jewish and Roman audience. So look at how Mark begins his gospel story. Look at chapter one, verse one. I mean, he comes out of the gates charging with this statement. I hope it begins to 
to shine for you. The beginning of the good news. But it's not about Caesar. It's about Jesus. And who is Jesus? Well, first he says, he's the Messiah. He's the Messiah. He's the promised one from the Hebrew scriptures. Now look at what Mark does. This is awesome. He says, hey, by the way, remember what Isaiah said? And then he quotes what we looked at in Isaiah 40. He says, I'll send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for who? In Isaiah 40, it's Yahweh coming to rescue his people. Mark takes Jesus and he puts him in the Yahweh slot. Jesus is Yahweh coming to rescue and restore his people. We're getting insight into the Trinity here, but look at the proclamation that Jesus is Yahweh returning to rescue his people. But the Roman backdrop shines as well. It, it, it also makes the diamond sparkle. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, and who is he? You think Caesar Augustus is the son of God? You think he's the true king? No, 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 no. Jesus, the son of God. And look at Jesus' announcement. He comes bringing a kingdom. The kingdom of God has come near. This is a New Testament scholar, Nicholas Perrin, says this, and he really nails it, I think. He says, it is difficult to do proper justice to the New Testament without realizing that what is good news for the Christian is religious and political deviancy for the Romans. It's defiant. This is subversive. This is a, a claim about kingship in a world where you know who the king is and he sits on his throne in Rome. The Jewish backdrop and the Roman backdrop. Jesus is the true king of the world. He's taking his throne, but it's unlike any other king or any other kingdom. We've never seen a king be like this. And Paul's gonna pick up on this as Paul reflects on the gospel. There's two places in Paul where he states the word gospel and then gives you clear insight, kind of, this is what I mean by that. One is Romans chapter one, verses three and four. And it sounds almost identical to Mark chapter one. The other place is 1 Corinthians 15. See what, Mark, what Paul says here. He says, now brothers and sisters, I wanna remind you of the gospel. And by the way, hold on to it. It's what saves you. It's what I preach to you. Hold on to it. Hold it fast. I know it's tough. Living in Corinth, a Roman province, trying to herald a different king, I know, but hold on to it. Look at verse three. For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance. What kind of king is this? Get it, lean in, see it. He's unlike any other king or any other kingdom. Look at what he says. The message I passed on to you is that Christ, this Messiah, he died for our sin. He, he emptied himself of the prerogatives of kingship and died on a humiliating Roman cross. That's how we accomplished forgiveness. That's how we defeated our enemies. He came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And this wasn't just some mystical experience that he had. It wasn't some emotion that he had. No, he was buried. He was, his body was crucified and buried, but that's not in the story. Look at what he says. He was raised on the third day. 
In Romans 1, Paul will say that the resurrection of Jesus is the announcement, it's the thunderclap to the world that this king has conquered the enemy called sin and death. He is the true king, that even death cannot defy him. He mocks death. Later on in this chapter, he's going to say, now we have the ability to say, oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Because our king is raised. And not only that, he's appeared. He's appeared to Peter and then the 12. And this message is going out to the whole world. So what is the gospel? It's the announcement that Jesus is Israel's Messiah, the one who rescues us from sin and establishes his kingdom and liberates us from our enemies, sin and death. And he's the world's true king. But it's not like any other king in any other kingdom. It's the kind of king who serves his people. It's the kind of king who welcomes in the broken, who welcomes in the outcast. It's the kind of king where being poor in spirit is rewarded, where meekness, the meek inherit the earth. It's the kind of king, by the way, the kind of king and the kind of kingdom that our culture desperately wants, where people hunger and thirst for rightness, justice, righteousness are satisfied, where peacemakers are called the children of God, where the persecuted inherit the kingdom. It's the kind of kingdom where the king empties himself for his people, the kind of kingdom where we are able to love and dispense love and service and sacrifice. And that king says, that's great, not power and bluster. It's the kind of kingdom we desperately crave and the kind of king we desperately crave in our world. We have world-changing news. That's the content of this news. I told you it'd be the longest point. What about the rivals? Now, we all have this person in our life, right? Uh, like the person I mean is, when you have a piece of news to share or you have something kind of awesome that you want to share, they always respond by telling something more awesome from their life. You, you, know this, you know this person, right? What do we call that person? What do we call it? A one-upper, right? And every friend group has this person, the one-upper. And right now, if you're sitting there thinking, I don't think our friend group has one of those, then you're it. And stop it. We're tired of it. I showed you a picture of my kid taking their first steps. Don't respond by showing me your cat can roll over. I don't care about your cat. Stop doing it. All right, if just now you're thinking, we don't have that. That's you. Pay attention. All right, what are the rivals? What does the one-upper do? The one-upper hears news and can't help but give rival news. No matter how dumb it is, it's always better to them. What are the rival gospels to this world-changing news, this gospel that we carry about Jesus? In the ancient world, it's really easy to see, right? Caesar, he's the true king. That's the gospel. Now, what about for us today? We could talk about a lot, I think. I'm gonna, I boil it down to three. There's three gospels that compete for our allegiance. The first, uh, the first I'm just gonna simply call the, the American dream. Now, this picture I know is a little bit silly. It's from the 50s. We see that and we go, that's not really what we're shooting for now. But it's the idea that our stuff, our money, our comfort, our country, 
Military might, economic might, will give us what we need in the end. It goes something like this, the American dream, that if I work hard, then life will spit out for me, it owes me, you know, a great spouse, and then 2.5 kids, and then I'm gonna have the dogs, and the house, then the bigger house, then the even bigger house, and the nice cars, then I'm gonna be able to have a retirement package, I'll be able to retire, get the Rolex, play golf till I die. The American dream. But it's subtle. It's the idea that we're secure in our stuff. We're, we trust in our country. I see it reflected. I mean, I do a lot of ministry with college students, and I see it reflected in, in this kind of thinking. I hear it all the time. And I got to press to get it out of them, but, but a lot of them are thinking this, the college students. If I don't find my spouse in college, then I'm a loser. I've I, I failed. Something's wrong with me. I'm sure it's not that way on the coasts, but I hear that all the time here. I, I, I hear it also in our world like this. Like instead of being happy that your friends had this awesome vacation or this really cool dinner somewhere, of course they posted about it, your response deep down is a little bit of envy. And then how can, I, I've got to plan the next trip. I've got, do we have enough money to do this? I want to go there. I want to have the next experience. This thing in us that's got to keep up with the Joneses, that's always got to keep going, it's always got to get the next promotion, the next this, the next. It's the American dream. We've, we've been sold a rival gospel that stuff, economic, military power will enable us to have the, the secure, joy-filled, happy life that we all envision. Yet, hear me, most powerful nation in the history of the world, most wealthy nation in the history of the world, and it's been able to do nothing about our greed, about our fear and anxiety, about corruption, about injustice, all the political power, all the military power, it hasn't been able to change the heart at all. Fear and anxiety, look around. It's not compelling enough. It's not beautiful enough. It's not big enough. It's not deep enough to go into the heart. Second rival gospel. It's the gospel that our science and technology is always thundering forward to a utopian Brilliant, beautiful future. Trust in science and technology, it's taking us there. We'll be able to overcome anything. This belief in ourselves, belief in our ability to overcome through science and technology. I'm gonna let H.G. Wells do the work for me on this one. Uh, notice the date on this. Uh, this is the second one, give me the first one. 1937. This is before World War II, Holocaust were discovered, okay? Hear the optimism in this. Can we doubt that presently our race will more than realize our boldest imaginations, that it will achieve unity and peace, that our children will live in a world made more splendid and lovely than any palace or garden that we know, going on from strength to strength in an ever-widening circle of achievement, what man has done, the little triumphs of his present state form, but a prelude to the things man has yet to do. The optimism in that, the hope in that, our science and technology, our humanism is always moving us forward. Just nine years later, look at what he says. The cold-blooded massacres of the defenseless, the return of deliberate and organized torture, mental torment, and fear to a world from which such things had seemed well nigh banished has come near to breaking my spirit altogether. 
the American Psychiatric Association uh, just recently did a poll, and they found that 62% of Americans feel more anxious than a year ago. And guess what? A year ago, it was high, and a year before that, it was high, and a year before that, it was high. All of our science, all of our technology, all of our discovery, all of our advances, and yet more sexual exploitation now in the hands of our phone. Anxiety and fear, it's not working. It's not able to. It doesn't fill that yearning that we have in our hearts. And maybe lastly, and maybe most significantly, here's the third rival gospel. It's the gospel of you. The gospel of you. That you are autonomous. That you decipher and you discover and you determine what is true for you. You say what's right and wrong. You get to be who you want to be, sleep with who you want to sleep with, love who you want to love, do what you want to do, and the worst thing anybody else could do is tell you otherwise, especially these old religions and their rules from a long time ago. It's expressed, I mean, very clearly in our culture with lines like, hey, you do you, but me do me, or live your truth, or don't judge me. The worst thing you can do now is tell somebody else that your truth and their truth are incompatible and they should adopt yours. You are autonomous. The gospel of you. It was codified about 30 years ago in the Supreme Court at the heart of liberty. At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, of the mystery of human life. The gospel of you. Now, two things I wanna say this. First, it's not experientially plausible, okay? It's illogical. Let me explain that. You're not nearly as autonomous as you think you are. You are who you are largely because of your biology and then who raised you, where you were raised, the friends that you've selected, the voices that you let in primarily through what you read in media. Like the reason you are so firm on what you believe, whether on the right or on the left, largely is because of those factors. You're not nearly as autonomous as you think you are. It's an illusion. Now the second, way more important, hear me. If you say, I determine meaning and truth, I'm the one who gets to decide what is true and what is right for me, and at the very same time, you want a life of significance and meaning and purpose, those two will always be at odds. Here's why. Your significance and meaning and purpose will only be as deep and as strong and as secure as you say it is. In short, your security of your significance is only as deep as your feeling of it in the moment. Welcome to anxiety. Do you see why we have such an anxious culture? Your significance is only as deep as your current experience of your significance. You will live on a roller coaster of the last thing somebody said, the last anxious thought you had, the last fearful thought you had. You will actually be the opposite of free. You will be enslaved to comparison, enslaved to your own emotion, enslaved to what you think and feel in the moment. Welcome to anxiety. It's not, these, these rival gospels are not compelling enough, they're not beautiful enough, they're not deep enough, they're not grand enough. 
They don't change the heart enough to bring the lasting change that we want in our world. They're rival gospels. And the gospel of Jesus says, repent and believe this good news about me as the king. It's content that Jesus is Israel's Messiah and the world's true Lord. It comes with a summons. Well, what is a summons? To summon somebody is to, to authoritatively or urgently call them to be present, calling them to action. And I want you to see, this, this announcement comes with a summons. On the heels, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, on the heels of saying, hey, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are those who are peacemakers, blessed are the persecuted. This is the kind of kingdom we're bringing into the world. It's an upside-down kingdom where power is seen in service, where a cross is not a symbol of humiliation but of victory. And on the heels of that, Jesus, he gives us a summons. Hear it. It's familiar, I think, if you've been in church. You are salt, he says. And sometimes we overcomplicate this metaphor. You know salt when it's there, don't you? You taste it. It makes impact. It doesn't stop there. He says, you are light. And it's light that goes out for everybody to see. Look at verse 16. He says, I want your light to shine before others that they may see your good deeds, what you do, and give glory to your Father in heaven. At the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to look at this verse next week. Jesus says, I'm the, I'm the king. All authority in heaven and on earth is mine. Go and make disciples of all the nations. There's a summons that comes with this gospel. And I think this New Testament scholar, I think, does such a really fantastic job, I think, of just kind of summing this up. So I want to, I'm going to quote him in full. Just hear this, this vision of what this news comes with. Hear it. I love this. He says, Christianity is all about the belief that the living God, in fulfillment of his promises to Israel, has accomplished all this, the finding, the saving, the giving a new life, the rescuing, the forgiving, in Jesus. He has done it. With Jesus, God's rescue operation has been put into full effect once for all. We are all invited, summoned, actually, to discover through following Jesus. Hear this. God's kingdom is pushed into the world. He says that this new world is indeed a place of justice, spirituality, relationship, and beauty, and that we are not only to enjoy it as such, but to work at bringing it to birth on earth as it is in heaven. In listening to Jesus, I love this, we discover whose voice it is that is echoed around the hearts and minds of the human race all along. This world-changing news is the only one deep enough and powerful enough to bring lasting change to your life, to your neighborhood, to our city, to our world. Here's how we're gonna close. Uh, Clark did this for us last week, and I so much appreciated it. We're gonna do it again. If you were a Jesus follower in the room, I wanna invite you to kneel. Get off your chair. If you're able, if you're able, of course, to get off your chair, and I'm gonna kneel with you. And I want us to kneel. Find a space. I know it's kind of difficult with the chairs. And well, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna give you some space. I want to ask you a simple question, and we're gonna give you some space. We're gonna sing just a chorus, and then uh, we're gonna pray the Lord's Prayer together, okay? Uh, and then we're gonna keep singing. Here's the question as you kneel. What does it look like to take this gospel into your neighborhood, to your family, 
to your workplace. And before our king, the true king, I'm just gonna let you sit with that for a moment. In a moment, we'll turn and sing, uh, we'll sing and we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together. Take a moment. Together as followers of Jesus as King, if that's you in the room, would you just pray the Lord's Prayer with me? If you need the words, are on the screen. Out loud. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus, you're our King. We give you glory and honor and praise for you're worthy of it. When you're ready, would you stand and sing with us to worship our King?
Well, Jesus, you're the king. And we reject all rivals. And we want to live our lives this day, today, on bended knee before you, because you're worthy of it. But your kingdom has flooded into this world. It's the kingdom of your goodness and justice and grace. And we are now salt and light in this world. So help us this week in our lives and our families and our neighborhoods to lift you up as king. Thank you, Father, for sending your son. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. Right through those doors is our prayer room. Have a great week, fellowship. We'll see you right back here next week.